WTBQ. We uh, we're here talking about wildlife and things global, cultural, a little bit of everything. Uh, we try to keep, uh, you know, we think locally and act globally here. And um, my co-host, as always, is Heather McConnell. Good morning, Heather. Good morning. <laughs> How are you today? I'm good. I was. We were just talking about the rain, and uh, I, I, I like the rain. I, I enjoy it. I, it it kind of quiets things down a little bit for me. But, um, yeah, I don't know. Maybe sometimes we do get too much. I'm always concerned about running out of it <laughs> and then that yeah, hot here. summer, same too. Here. So. You know, water is more expensive than oil, and so it's mm. nice to have it fall from the sky. <laughs> you know, there's nothing wrong with that. Get some buckets out there. And, hey, speaking of rain and people like it or not liking it, you and I have both, a long time ago, uh, lived in Los Angeles at different times. Yes. Have you ever been in L.A. when it rains? Oh, yeah. That's absolutely. A, that's a celebration. Oh, yeah. Every, well, <laughs> it's a celebration. At the same time, nobody knows how to drive, drive. Everybody just gives up. <laughs> Everybody just slams on the brakes oh, and just panics. Gosh. And yes, and they do not know how to drive in the rain. But it's so. cool, though. Those freeways are never crowded, and they're not really wide or multi-lane <laughs> or anything. Oh, my God. The yeah. way it falls apart there in the it's, rain. Yeah. Yeah. Sig alerts. That's what Los Angeles is. Yeah, if anybody has has ever heard of the word sigalert it's a los angeles thing and for years when i was out in los angeles it's a traffic word and i thought oh signal alert you know that's when traffic comes to a dead stop right and you do not move yeah. for an hour there's a great i think it's an rem song where they do uh no is it red or no um, there's a video with yeah. an rem video where it's where they, everybody gets out there that's not uncommon and they oh, so sure. the, the radios and the reason you know how that started i don't it's really funny it's not signal it's a guy named sigmund <laughs> sigmund used wow. to call the radio station the local news radio station and say hey traffic stopped on this that. on this freeway and uh yeah they they called it sig alert so that's where the original term came from and Why? i was in several one of them i remember one o'clock in the morning uh, on an overpass and we did not move for an hour so that's yeah. brutal yeah yeah and i talked to friends and the traffic is was great during the pandemic it's it's not as great now so but they just don't they literally they shut down they killed all their um public transportation right and then built these wonderful freeways but they won't go through certain neighborhoods so there's always yeah. a bottleneck going from uh, certain areas into los angeles so no, there's there's yeah. not a lot of uh, bright light at the end of that yeah. tunnel but, but they again. do the rain is extraordinary because when it comes down especially and you, I don't know if you've ever seen this, but if you've been out in the desert and you watch the flowers come out. Oh, gosh, yeah. Oh, Different deserts, too. Stunning. Oh, God, there's nothing Beautiful. like it, for sure. Beautiful. And they, you know, they just wait all year for that one really great or storm. Years. Can yeah. be sometimes years um, before wild. they come. Yeah. It's, it's really it's wild. Stunning. But right now, I don't know, there was actually a recent um, article, front page in the New York Times, about the drought in the West again and it is bad yeah and um when i was out there i remember just constantly thinking to myself this is 
not a good situation you know this is this the the you can't keep building and yet they they kept building and building and building and draining the water from the colorado basically yeah, a lot of people don't understand yeah. how that works too the water from the colorado with the diversion over there yeah in 76 obviously i was a really little boy and i was out there staying with my cousins in monterey county mostly uh believe it or not boar hunting uh hunting wild boar and it was such an incredibly bad drought that year that the uh, arroyos and stuff were just, you know, dry, dry. sand. Yeah. All the ponds, the rivers, the creeks. I remember the Salinas River that is something when I was a little boy we used to swim in all the time. Nice big wide river. I mean, it was just this little rivulet going through mm. the sand. And the as a result of it, the pigs, the wild boar, they're a lot easier to find. They were, you know, really right, clustering because near the they're water clustering areas. where the wet area. And yeah, one of the things I thought was uh, that came to mind recently, and you have to understand, people around here don't get when you have a lot of water. You don't understand what what the political um, situation and the politics of the whole thing was, and some of the underhandedness and if you ever watched that movie i'm sure you've seen it chinatown oh, of course oh where they're showing how they were stealing the water basically yeah. oh, and just yeah. running it off into the ocean and uh these guys discover it but los angeles played that game for years saying oh we don't have enough water we don't have enough water just to oh sure exactly sure, so sure to you gotta be really careful about that too water has always been you know since uh prehistory water has been kind of uh, a, a chip that yeah. way and in in this county it is i, I used is. to be a part of the orange county water authority and um not a board member or anything and it was just insane the way people it, it's a good organization actually it's a good a blended agency because there are a couple of unnamed uh, enormous housing developments uh in our our county um that are religiously based and they just go nuts for drawing water yeah and so these guys work be, hard yeah and there's a balance and that's one of the things with los angeles that always kind of surprised me was there was so much water coming out of the sky at these times of course it would you know they always say the uh, somebody we were i was talking yesterday what are the four seasons in southern california and have um, earthquake fires floods and riots <laughs> was the joke back yeah, in the sure, 70s sure. and 80s and um, but the water always shocked me because you'd see this great amazing amount of water coming down but because they have so channeled the rivers and there's so much cement and road surface it just runs right off into yeah, the ocean aqueducts everywhere yeah and sure. it doesn't get absorbed back into the ground and i always thought well why don't people just do this why don't they catch it somehow because heather then they wouldn't have those great aqueducts and they couldn't have all those great chase scenes in them in all the hollywood <laughs> movies there's always okay. a chase scene in but you know circling back for a second to 1976 with that drought with the boar hunting one of the corollaries of that that was really scary was because animals were clustering just like the pigs were the boars um the ground squirrels mm. did a lot of the same thing and as a result they were a, a wonderful vector for uh, bubonic plague oh, and there yeah. was so, such an epidemic of bubonic plague among you know uh, animals mostly rodents but also horses were getting it certainly uh wild boar were getting it and um the ground squirrels the california ground squirrels as a result of that drought because they were all together they were no longer social distancing um <laughs> that there was just bubonic plague everywhere and it was really oh, quite that's bad interesting yeah and yeah. so like in beach areas where you have these and some of the parks where you'd have tame squirrels ground squirrels would come up and beg and climb on people 
it was like a monster movie, you know, a wow. horror movie. People would run from the squirrels running up to climb on their pant leg to beg for something. It was really an ugly situation. You the know, little so, squirrels, they, they're, what do they look like? They, uh, they're kind of, they're not as big as the grays, right? They're kind of like a similar. chipmunk. Yeah, they're, they're in between. I mean, there's a few kinds. A chipmunk is a, a true ground squirrel, but they, they look... They really just look in between. And they're you, you cute. It well. Yeah. Yeah. So. Yeah, sure. And, you know, they taste good. But <laughs> they really do, just like a gray squirrel. But they, um, they're they really, yeah, it's, so you have to remember, drought brings more than just, um, you know, dryness and right. the paucity of water. It can right. bring on these epidemics. And uh, that's one of the other reasons we have to always be wary of that. But anyway, you know, that's today, that's the rain. And you were asking earlier how it is for wildlife and you know, when it's not a really protracted uh, wet period where, you know, with the rain, where a lot of fungi grow and opportunistic fungi that will live inside plants and animals and kill them, mm -hmm. um, it's a good thing, typically. And right now, you know, we're almost all getting sick of saying, well, we need the rain. We need it. But we do. We we're do. never at a point in many yeah. years now. Well, where we our, say it's our groundwater in this area, we, w we might think that we're getting lots of rain, but, you know, how do you measure the groundwater? Yeah. And that would be the real question because, I mean, you look at the um, out west and they've tapped, what is it, the Ogallala res, um, yeah. uh, thing? Sure. And that, you know, the ground's literally sinking. In fact, yep. it's happening all over the world. You see the ground literally sinking yeah. where they've tapped into the groundwater. In fact, we were just talking about your friend in Bangladesh, and I think that's a huge problem in Bangladesh's is. water, too. Yeah. yeah, he's supposed to call in. It's not going to happen today. We were planning originally for my friend Caesar to call in today, and um, I think we're going to do that next week. He's a biologist who's doing work with uh, jungle tortoises in Bangladesh, mm. and he's a Bangladeshi himself. Mm. Um, I think after the break, we'll talk more about this. Meat Warehouse is a butcher with old-time family values. Remember back in the day when people knew their butcher by name and visiting them was a social experience? They would talk to customers about how to cook a piece of meat to perfection. Sam's combines old-world methods with modern techniques. Call your favorite butcher, Sam's, at 845-651-MEAT or visit the store right off 17A in Florida, New York for the highest quality products at unbeatable prices. Hi, this is Mike Sweeten, Supervisor of the Town of Warwick with Tony Cardone, Supervisor of the Town of Monroe. And please join us every Tuesday at 9 a.m. for the Roundtable here on WTBQ and WGHD. Radio worth listening to. Hi, this is Dr. Pierre Louis, a clinical psychologist. I will take your calls and I will answer all your personal and business relationship questions, helping you create a life healthy in mind, body, and spirit every Friday at 11 a.m. <laughs> and we're back with Tales and Trails. During the break, Heather and I were just talking about diseases because of the... Um, Jay, yes, has had just about every everything. <laughs> and you, we were talking about dengue, dengue fever. Dengue fever, yeah. And you and mentioned that fascinating thing in Malaysia. They just did this um, wonderful uh, thing, which is... I, I'm not a huge fan of... <laughs> I'm not a huge fan of... Um, 
go, you know, uh, genetically modifying um, insects and stuff, which they have been doing with insect uh, mosquitoes. They just released some, I think, down in the Florida Keys. Um, and I'm a little iffy on that. But this was cool. This was actually infecting um, mosquitoes with a known bacteria that's right. natural. And uh, it kills dengue. And they released uh, the mosquitoes after this into the wild in, um, I think, somewhere in Indonesia. I'm pretty sure. And, uh, okay. in, well, in not in, in a city, basically. And um, the mosquitoes basically transmit this little, I think it's a bacteria, into each other and wipes out the dengue. And they had a huge drop in cases, like something like 90, 90%. I'll see if I can find that study for you. That sounds too. interesting. It was really cool. Yeah, just using natural solutions, basically, to, you know, and dengue is, is still around. I mean, we kind of think yes, of it as it is. one of those diseases that's not, uh, not there. And we're all focused on, obviously, on COVID. But um, there's a lot of other stuff out there, too. It's and the worst disease I've ever had. Yeah, that's Most what painful. you were saying. Yeah, really, yeah. really horrible, really yeah. terrible. You, you, when you have it, the pain is so bad that you don't want to live. No matter whom Ooh. you are, it's just it. It was called bone break during the Civil War. Yes, and yeah. the bone break fever because yeah. you actually feel like your bones are just being slowly snapped in half. It's, it's grotesque. It's a uh, really bad feeling. Yeah, that's a nice. <laughs> well, it's, you know, it's nice to get yeah. to get past. And it. I don't think that we we have it around here and a lot since a long time. Anyway, Pro not a lot of it, but you know, there are very few pathogens that you, you can say, well, we don't have here because we are such a cultural crossroads here, you know, greater New York right. City area, it happens. You, yeah. you know, it's weird the way things show up. Yeah, That's an interesting question in itself. Is there dengue in the New York, you know, uh, metropolitan Tri -state area? Yeah. Tri-state area, yeah. That's yeah. a great question. Yeah, and um, and we do certainly have mosquitoes. I mean, they're, they're, and with the wet, you know, that's always a concern. There's the problem. Um, and, you know, and we've, I know you've talked about this before, but then we've got spray. People go out and spray more, not for dengue so much, but for West Nile, which is always the concern well, too. That's a that's a funny one. Um, West Nile, you know, I've my own feelings about West Nile, um, and uh, it, you know, I feel it was very very hyped, and we did a lot of horrible ecological damage with the spraying of uh, something called Anvil. Yeah. And at the time, I said it, you know, when they were spraying on Fairfield County in Westchester, soaking everything, you know, muni municipalities were doing it. I said, this is gonna kill every crustacean in the Long Island Sound. And then later the uh, lobstermen all had to apply for public assistance because all the lobsters were killed in the Long Island Sound. And not oh, just wow. myself, a few people had said this. I was one of the loudest voices. and. The federal government said, well, it wasn't because of the pesticide. By <laughs> wild coincidence, it's because of a virus. And they can always do that. Well, it's a virus because viruses are so very what happened to, um, So basically, they sprayed this pesticide, Anvil, yep. into Westchester. And then the water flowed off Westchester fronts on the Long Island Sound. Yeah, yeah. And the water flowed off Westchester into, and Fairfield. And Fairfield into the Long Island Sound. Yeah. And then, okay, that was where the lobsters got um, got. Annihilated. Um, annihilated absolutely annihilated and what is and how it kills the um what was it the uh mosquitoes that was the idea but yes. how does it kill the lobsters because this is a much Same bigger mechanism. critter no but they're very similar if you think about it they're both arthropods okay you know, they're very similar creatures the mechanism is similar and it kills them uh, through the nervous system it actually just 
I'm trying to think Anvil. I don't even remember. That's the trade name was Anvil. I don't remember the chemical name, but most um, insecticides work by shutting down neural receptors in the insect and uh, or in the arthropod. So how most. come it works on an arthropod and doesn't work on us? Right? Because we have totally different uh, different nervous receptors. systems. So much different. I mean, think about it. They these things don't have skeletons. They don't have warm. Right. Blood. They've got They're an exoskeleton. Yes. The, the lobsters got it. Much yeah. different. Much, and they have to molt. They change mm. that exoskeleton <clears throat> all the time. <clears throat> but one of the interesting things when we talk about mosquitoes, which are horrid, um, you have these people who use the carbon dioxide traps, which are great. They really work. You mm. see these signs for, uh, you know, locally here in um, Orange County, New York, there's someone who goes by the name Mosquito Joe. Yes. And yeah. I believe he uses carbon dioxide okay. traps, which are great. So so wait a minute. Let me, let me get this straight. <laughs> what you're saying. So we're increasing the, the carbon dioxide in the, the atmosphere? Uh, I don't know that because I, I don't oh, think it's manufactured. Like, I don't know if it's increased. I'm, I, I'm, with global warming, right. Well, do you like, you say you don't like GMOs? <laughs> no, I'm just I'm just laughing because if we're increasing, is it carbon monoxide? Maybe? Dioxide. Dioxide in the it's atmosphere. It's still carbon. It's the CO2. Yeah, yeah. yeah it's it's still... just in the yeah that we're increasing, so that could in decrease. I the think that <laughs> in in my eyes, it's such a minor increase, and for the um, what it does in terms of fighting mosquitoes instead of using synthetic toxins, yeah, it may be worth it. You, you'd mentioned earlier. You're not crazy about the use of GMOs and in insects, but I, you yeah, approve it in I, humans. I, <laughs> yeah. Think about it. Yeah, yeah, so yeah. So let's yeah. not let's not put GMOs in those insects, but let's make sure yeah. we get seventy percent of the population to become walking GMOs. Right. You right. Know, I, I don't have a problem well, with it. It's, That's it, not what yeah, I'm saying. I think it's we have to pick and choose when we we have to pick and choose, and, and one of the interesting things is it doesn't really matter what we like or want at this point. It's out there. It's in the wild. These things are changing, and we're learning, and I think that we're probably just going to be seeing more and more of this, too. And, you know, it's also just, unfortunately, we've sped up evolution, whether we like it or not. Um, and uh, there's a lot of stuff going on in the world right now in terms of biological experimentation. And yeah, there's um, no changing that. There's no, yeah, you know, there's no going back. back. Yeah. And it's the same with climate change. You know, yeah. if we're going to say that, well, we have to accept <clears throat> the use of GMOs and the acceptance and even the um, government mandating of turning people into GMOs, um, then we also have to accept climate change. We have to accept that carbon. We have to stop uh, worrying about it. And maybe we have to get more swimming pools. Yeah. And I, it sounds like I'm being flip, but I mean it. You know, people are right now, the self same people, well, I don't want it to become political sounding, but, you know, change is inevitable. I'm not for or against it. I'm just saying what I'm seeing. It's happening. And yeah. there are a lot of people talking about adaptation. Uh, actually, including Bangladesh, too. It would be interesting oh, to especially. talk to your friend because they are such a low-lying country. Yes. And they have um, huge problems with fresh water right now, too. Immense. So, and uh, that's a challenge. They're going to need to be able. There's a lot of countries that are dealing with um, fresh water issues. And one of the things is the... Um, which I'm sure you've heard is the desalinization plants, the, um, which yes. I think Israel's using those. Um, and then and we say, well, if you're desalinating the oceans, at what point, you know, the same right. way that we say incrementally, well, gee, we're increasing CO2 by using CO2 traps for mosquitoes. 
can we then say, well, we're reducing the salt in the oceans by using desalination, right. which is used in Los Angeles and San Francisco too? Yeah, you know, yeah. It There's has a lot been of forever too. since so before we were born. We've been altering the the ecosystem too for you know tens of thousands of years too. It's just sped up recently. What are the 800 pound gorillas in the room that people don't talk about? And right here in the tri-state area, it's immense. Is the use of uh, speaking of desalination. Well, you desalinate, now there's all that leftover salt. Is this salt, Road yes. salt. Yeah. That probably has a far more grave uh, effect on ecosystems than does any pesticide. Yeah, yeah, that, that has been a, that's been a huge issue. And yet, you know, we do need to keep our roads safe, certainly well, too. You know, it's interesting, they need to be kept safe, but if you've lived in Vermont and New Hampshire, I believe, yes. they don't do it there, not at this yeah, level. they don't. And yet somehow the people don't all die. They don't all have collisions. But I think also we have to remember that in those states, it's colder right now. It's colder and you do get, you don't get as much ice. We're on that, that ice, no? <laughs> no, no, I, I've just never so, heard that. Yeah, yeah no, I, I think we're sort of on that icy border, too. So. It gets cold here in the winter, and they don't salt the roads in the summer. Yeah, that's true. <laughs> I mean, yeah. not, not, not to be a joker, but... No, but I'm saying we... we like, one of the things I remember um, being... I went to school in, um, in Vermont, in uh, Middlebury, which is pretty much in the middle of Vermont. Middle, yeah. <laughs> and uh, you'd get that lovely, you know, deep, deep cold. You didn't have ice. Because it's it's you get that in Mongolia too. You get that dry cold. Well, um, now Lake Tahoe, California, where I've lived many, many, many winters, it doesn't get very cold. It doesn't get nearly as cold as New England. The mean winter temperature isn't as cold as here in Orange County. They don't use road salt. They're not but allowed to. But do they to. get the iciness because they're very dry too? They. Well, the highest snowpack in the known world, I think, yeah. you know, Donner Party and all that, uh, they get incredible <laughs> snowpack. I mean, you know, sometimes 15 feet overnight. Yeah. So there's, it's, you know, it's wet. It's a dry snow, but it's, it's yeah. still, it can create yeah. ice. What, yeah. what they do there is people actually learn how to drive. Yeah, well, that's that's a plus. <laughs> and so, you know, I drive on ice to and from training out there. Yeah. And uh, that's life. Yeah. You know, the road crews, you know the roads generally are nicer there's not as many patches and potholes it's usually straight flat um a lot of micro paving like yeah. new york bituminous uh over in monroe uh blooming grove actually used to do a lot around here um a lot more micro paved roads so you don't have the irregularities it makes it easier for a plow to really scrape it yeah but i don't know it's you know you make a great point uh about the moisture and the ice because i mean i remember just this this past winter there was one day where i i walked out the back oh. of the house and i mean everything was sure. slick you could not walk and you're um, right i mean you don't get that in tahoe you don't get that and i remember you'll just laugh at this but um we were on a ski trip uh we didn't go too many ski trips but it was up in vermont and i want to say maybe sugarbush or someplace up there and we went out and the slope was, it wasn't a difficult slope, but it was solid ice. Right. And my dad was not a hugely experienced skier. And he just got out and he, we looked at that and we walked down. We sure. took our skis off and we walked down the mountain because Good it idea. was like a sheet of ice. Yeah. And I remember, cause again, we had a lot of skiers at my school and a lot of them came from the West 
and they could not believe how much ice there was. (laughs) It's incredible. And and the less pitch there is with ice, the more difficult it is to ski, believe it or not, Mm. because you have to lay your ski over so much more just to use that edge. Yeah. So it's it's a little scary. So yeah, it's it's a whole different kind of skiing on the East Coast too. It is. There's an old adage in skiing, in North American skiing, that if you grew up skiing the East, especially New England, you can ski anywhere. Yeah. To a degree, it's true. I mean, we don't have the, you know, the steep pitch necessarily or the big long pitch that some of the West has, but, you know, there's. So, anyway, just about the road salt, sure. I'm, I'm kind of like, yeah, <laughs> not sure. Yeah. But it would be nice that there was an alternative, which there are other kinds of things we could use too. So. Yeah, ammonium nitrate, like we use on sidewalks. Yeah, it's yeah, great stuff. which is good for animals too. Great and, for plants. Uh, yeah, good for uh, plants, but. Wondering also how the plants have adapted to, I have to ask you this, um, you know, the little chamomile that we get that grows along the road, yes. too, you can actually make tea with that, but I sure. would maybe use it along the road. Now, there are two it. types. There's the true chamomile that, or chamomile uh, that looks like tiny daisies. Then there's pineapple flower. That's what I'm talking right. about. And yes. that, smell, that smells more like real chamomile. It does. Yeah. Yes. And it's a really cute little flower. But I've only noticed it when it's really dry along the roadside. It seems to really like dry road bed <laughs> yeah it's, and, a, it's a wasteland uh, flower it, it is. really is which yeah is cool. yeah and uh, i've actually made tea from it yeah, well, a long here. time Gosh, ago yeah. it's a great it's a great little flower now is that a native I i'm think not it sure is. Yeah. i believe it is uh but i think uh after a quick word from the sponsors we'll talk more about that yeah are all flocking to Sam's Meat Warehouse. Sam's offers the finest selection of prime meats in New York and New Jersey. Whether Wagyu or Frank Burgers, prime fillets or Delmonico's, pork chops or prime rib, Sam's, located in the village of Florida, is the jewel of New York and New Jersey for those who will settle for nothing less than the best. Learn about where your meat comes from, recipes, and incredible pricing. For specials and giveaways, visit Facebook at Sam's Meat Warehouse. This is Allie Berman inviting you to tune in every Thursday at 10 a.m. on Winning Together with the number one team of personal injury attorneys at Sobo and Sobo. Call or text into the show and get answers to all your questions right here on Radio Worth Listening To. Tune into the nonprofit Notebook, your resource for and about people helping people. Learn about all the events and services available for you, friends, or family. Open your nonprofit Notebook Tuesdays at 11 a.m. Radio Worth Listening To. WTBQ, GHT Weather. Cloudy skies, some showers, and a few thunderstorms today. There's a few breaks, too, with highs in the low to mid-70s. Some thunderstorms could be quite strong. Tonight, showers, thunderstorms tapering off will head down into the upper 50s and lower 60s. Tomorrow, look for clouds and some sun. Still the risk of a shower with highs in the mid to the upper 70s. Clouds will thin out tomorrow night, lows in the mid-50s. And a pretty nice day on Wednesday, plenty of sunshine, highs in the mid to the upper 70s. From the WTBQ Weather Center, I'm WeatherWorks' Tony Salimo. And we're back with Tales and Trails. This is Jay Westerveld with our weekly show. And with me today is Heather McConnell. And Heather and I, during the break, we're talking about edible plants and stuff. Because before the break, Heather, you brought up 
chamomile, oh, yeah. I, I, but which you just told me is actually there's a couple of different kinds, and the t- the kind that I've seen are grown up with alongside the roads. And I was just also wondering if it's kind of salt resistant because it seems to thrive in very dry conditions. Um, and it you called it pineapple chamomile. Yeah, it's called pineapple flower. It does look me, like it's got up, a green flower that yeah. looks like a little, yeah. Um, looks very, like a pineapple because yeah, it doesn't really have petals. Yeah, it's not yellow. Though, so. It doesn't have petals. And um, if you take a you crush a little bit, it really smells like chamomile. And you can make tea out of it. Good tea, yeah. Um, but yeah, you were just saying it's a completely different species, too. And I think it, it's a completely different genus, but don't quote me. Uh, definitely look that up. And yeah, you'd ask if it was a native or alien. And I'm not sure i believe one of them is native i believe don't quote me and listeners you know you can google this i believe pineapple flower is native and chamomile is introduced but it may be the other way around yeah they might chamomile is a problem is global so it may have come from europe of course you know there's so many things that even though you know made their way across the Atlantic or related at some point to you know we look sure. at the native species of trees here and some of them are um, we think that they're they're not native or invasive but they were connected you know millions of years ago yeah and as you know it's it's almost tiresome to people who know me how I just always say who cares <laughs> does it matter yeah. this is where so. we are now the moment especially an agency tries to eradicate anything that they call quote unquote invasive, they make bigger problems than they started Sometimes, with. Yeah. Always. Yeah, I mean, yeah. I'd like to know a situation where they didn't make things worse by combating a so-called invasive. Yeah. You know, and then we can't call everything that's alien invasive because then, as I always say, well, we'd have to get rid of honeybees and apples. You know, Absolutely. Edible apples. Yeah, yeah. He, Johnny yes. Appleseed. You know, <laughs> he was he was promoting an invasive species. He was. Today he he served time for that. <laughs> New York State would put him in jail, uh, or at least give him some stiff fines. But um, you know, this is this is we're we're invasive as hell. You know, we, look at us, us white folk here in uh, America. Yeah. You know, yeah. we came over on boats. So it's uh, dogs and cats too. That's one of the things too. You know, I just. Uh, um, I can't. I love them, <laughs> but uh, to a certain extent, especially cats, can be devastating to um, to birds, especially to in, in your yard. Yes, but then if you keep them inside, yeah. Well, no, in outside of a yard. See, what happens is a lot of people don't realize the songbird uh, composition and density that we see in our yards is kind of unique. It's not like it is once you get out into the wild, and people get upset you know, when when they see, um, you know, their tabby killing a, a pretty bird, a lot of that, when you think about it, it's very subjective. It's a very human thing because we say, oh, he killed that beautiful indigo bunting or that ruby-throated hummingbird. This mm. is, it's a crime, you know? And nature is cruel. That just, there's nothing about nature that's not cruel. I hate to say it. But these, what we have is what we call an ecological release of um, songbirds around our homes because of feeding and nesting and our mere presence keeps some of the predators away. And we, feeding too, if you're feeding, uh, yeah. certainly. And so a cat, a house cat sees that and there's an overabundance and also kind of an over variety of birds around homes. And the cat does what it naturally does because the other things that have been... Um, pushed away or wiped out locally that would normally prey upon those birds, the cat just fills in. 
really locally right now um and again i I like that you said tri-state area earlier that makes a lot of sense for a lot of reasons especially for this radio station Mm -hmm. Uh, um they uh the cooper's hawks and the sharp shinned hawks are have kind of a population explosion going on now and they are adapting to suburban life they're nesting right in people's backyards even like in westchester okay kind of scary because they do so well with the songbirds there one family you know so a nesting couple with babies of sharp shinned hawks probably takes probably more than 20 times as many songbirds as a whole pack of feral cats could wow i mean they're just such great predators they're native so we accept them they're birds you know well, they they're have birds yeah that's it gives them a huge advantage obviously sure yeah. so you know what there are a lot of people who push an agenda about how terrible house cats are for the environment i, I don't like seeing them out there but they're not doing anything that the natural predators wouldn't normally have done hmm. and okay. you know then you have people saying yeah but they just kill things and then play with them well so do weasels you know our mm. mustelids our native mustelids. really yeah okay. yeah they'll just they'll just take the heads off of things and leave everything else lovely uh, yeah <laughs> well it's just a fact that's you know one way you can tell what's killing your chickens uh without grossing out any listeners um, interesting that weasels would do that given that they are a wild animal and that you would think that they would need the food and why would they hunt just to play whereas cats you know can afford usually if they're house cats certainly they can get fed but it's hard to say i mean remember um certainly in uh africa in um oh, what's the great wild area of africa the oh. uh there's um the kenyan reserve or the yeah i'm just trying a to bunch ma- of them yeah i just I, i'm forgetting the name of the, the Mas- really i want to say maasai but it's not the maasai that's the well anyway the um lions there just kill cheetahs anytime they see a cheetah they kill them because that's competition right so right. they just kill them and leave yeah them. and i know that sometimes they will um animals especially cats will injure or capture a um small animal for their cubs to practice on yeah yeah that's too. common that uh, that happens in, in the wild too the serengeti is serengeti, like, I, remember. I was just having yeah, a, a brain yeah. fart with that one but um you know a friend of mine um <clears throat> from sort of another life overseas he often uses the expression uh this place or that place is like the serengeti nothing there dies of old age Mm, and he mm-hmm. said this about human cultures you know mm-hmm. not, it's like the serengeti and so sometimes he'll just look at me out of the corner of his eye um the guy's name is lynn and he'll say serengeti yeah you know yeah. and Interesting. um it, it, it's a strange thing whereas we live in this sort of garden of eden uh, ecologically where things are welcome to die of old age and yeah. it happens a lot well you know and that brings up something i was going to ask you about too just in terms of what we've done and changed around here um as we get more people moving into the area and we lose more farmland people build houses on these farms and stuff but they inevitably put up um bushes and flowers and trees around so you look at like say rockland county and i was i was just talking with my dad last night and he grew up well he mostly grew up in upstate new york near buffalo but he definitely he lived in tapan for um, a few years and I said, well, did you ever see any deer at that point? And he said, no, there were hunters and right. in Rockland County at that time. And that would have been 1950s. Sure. So it wasn't nearly as built up. And of course, now it is. But do are we actually 
by building more houses and introducing more trees, we're obviously increasing the tree cover, which is is good for um, climate change. But we are also introducing more habitat for animals and creatures, or is it just different habitat? Well, it is because remember how you you opened this up. You said farmland. Right. They're developing farmland. Well, that farmland wasn't here when the settlers arrived right. in North America. Right. So there was that huge change that wrought a new species composition. But there were open spaces because the Native Americans did burn. So well, maybe they burned like crazy. not as much open space um, as there was at the height of the farming in this area, or more or less? Probably less, but remember also here we had bison. They would burn, and then there would be things like bison and elk that mm-hmm. were you know, more, um, much stronger generalists as far as food. And they just go through and keep things really, uh, flattened out. Um, a buddy of mine, um, actually he's an artist, one of the original, uh, craftsmen, a sculptor in Sugarloaf when I was a little boy. Now he's a studio in Greenwood Lake, Rob Wright. He once said to me a long time ago, I never, forget, never forgot this great quote. They don't make them like they used to. And they never did. Huh. And it's a great quote when you think about ecology, because as everyone wants to replicate what the ecology was like when they were little, they forget right. that it prior to that, it was, you know, like you mentioned the farms, I grew up in this area. We deer were so scarce when I was yeah. a little kid. Never saw Thankfully, deer. No yeah. ticks as you and yeah. I always say, no, no, ticks, no, no, no deer. ticks, no deer, no bear. Nope. Um, and we had, we had wood rats, which were these beautiful things that lived in all the ridges and they got wiped out. And then we found out later it was from um, a roundworm in raccoon feces. Mm. Wood rats in the West, they're called pack rats. They look for shiny, interesting things to bring back to the nests. And sadly, raccoon feces, because raccoons eat a lot of beetles, would have these beautiful beetle uh, wing cover shells. <laughs> okay. Skunk and raccoon, when you see their scat in the woods, you'll see a lot of beetle shells. Okay. So the, the wood rats would see that and bring it back and they'd carry it in their mouth. So the eggs of this... Um, Roundworm, I can't remember. In fact, the genus name is pretty important. Normally I can remember it at this minute, I can't, but the uh, species name actually means born by raccoons, uh, Procyonos. Uh, pro- well, anyway, okay. pro- Procyon is part of the uh, species name of this roundworm. And these roundworms inside a raccoon, a skunk, or a fox, um, they just live in the gut. When they get into a wood rat, which has a totally different system, they're not happy with the gut of a wood rat. So they continue migrating across tissues into the nervous system, into the brain, and they die. They do the same thing to people. Now, the roundworms were not native here. They must have been. They're native. Oh, Uh, they are. Belascaris is the species. Okay. It's like B-A-Y-L-A-S-C-I-R-I-S, Belascaris. And so we call them belascarids. And belascarids are a really, really morbid um, roundworm. They are native. And uh, they infect humans. But they weren't transitioning from the raccoons to the wood rats until more recently. Right, because raccoons started to flourish more in this region. Oh, because the raccoons are doing really well with our garbage and all sorts of other things. Raccoons love people. I did mention... I don't know if it was you who said this, but somebody commented. I don't know if it's this season or not, but I think it might be raccoons dropping out of the ceiling season 
Um, <laughs> because what happens is you get, oh, I have to notice that TBQ actually has a nice little drop, drop ceiling. ceiling sure. um, what happens is the raccoons get in there in the winter, they have little ones, and then um, they get bigger and bigger, and then all of a sudden you're sitting at your desk at work, and which has a drop ceiling, and a raccoon drops down. <laughs> Very so, scary. To me, so. in terms of pathogens, nothing scares me more than a raccoon. Really? Yeah, okay. because of that that roundworm and also, um, you know, rabies. Uh, oh, rabies, yeah. Yeah, and we, I've, I know that, sadly. We've seen a couple of uh, around our house that, um, you know, they just don't look quite right, right. and unfortunately had to... Uh, deal with that too a couple times and i always had them as pets growing up yeah, i almost always that. had a pet raccoon at you know at, at any given summer and so did you know my dad rascal my brother. it was the rascal. classic sterling classic north book. sterling north yeah, yeah wonderful book. book yeah and um, book. you know now with what i know about raccoons i would probably never do that again uh, yeah you know, i mean i or you can always you know we always got rabies shots and stuff dr brown always gave all my animals her shots and uh i think after a quick word from the sponsors We'll talk more. Sam's Meat Warehouse has been supplying restaurants and shops with the highest quality local and sustainably sourced prime and choice wholesale meat, steaks, poultry, seafood, and much more for over 20 years. Whether you're a small family butcher shop or a busy steakhouse, expect A1 service and the finest products available. Call Sam's at 845-651-MEAT or visit the store right off Route 17A in Florida, New York for the highest quality products at unbeatable prices. Hi, this is Wild Baby Love. Start your Sunday with me at 6 a.m. and Gospel Tracks. I'll give you the phone number to the faith phone line and the address to the website. All that and much, much more right here on Gospel Tracks with yours truly, Wild Baby Love. Hi, this is Tom Lovelace. Join me and my guest every Saturday morning at 10 a.m. for the Lovelace Music Experience. Exciting interviews and great music from every genre, right here, playing the best music. WTBQ. We're back with Tales and Trails, and uh, during the break, Heather and I were talking about the Allegheny Wood Rat and the uh, Bellascarids, these uh, horrific um roundworms that uh, knocked out the allegheny wood rat in new york state the allegheny wood rat they're common when i was a kid uh, especially camping out they're very curious and how big are they they're the size of a you know like what we'd call a norway rat the you know right. common the rats ones that, you that, see in that we see around here yeah but they didn't look anything like those they uh and, and they still you know they live throughout much of the rest of the country especially in areas where there aren't too many raccoons or people living nearby to get the raccoon populations jumping up but they um so they're they're a lot fuzzier they don't have a naked tail they have a fur covered tail big mm. big black eyes big fur covered round ears really adorable and very tame but i used to see them all the time camping out as a little boy uh in the 70s and, and then, where were you camping out uh, you know in this area uh warwick sugarloaf uh, certainly tuxedo and um harriman state park i used to hike right from here to harriman state park uh it's a fun thing to do as a kid but interesting when I was a little guy, I was doing work with the DEC, believe it or not, uh, in my early teens uh, because of my knowledge of bog turtles and finding bog turtle sites. And I was in the field with a couple of 
zoologists and back then there used to be a lot more funding to get zoologists and other biologists mm. into the field and we had national wildlife federation people with us national geographic people a lot of times and um, one of the state biologists said jd do you know of any wood rats around here and i said well of course and they all just you know were silent for a moment are you sure mm. you know yeah guys i'm sure and uh, they they told me about how they were extirpated statewide, and they didn't know of any areas that there were any left. There was extirpated a, means they were got extinct, basically locally extinct. Locally extinct. So yeah, yeah. extirpated. Thanks. Good uh, good yeah. distinction <laughs> to make there. And um, so the cat rocks right on the Appalachian Trail here in Warwick. We went up there, and there was uh, there were two dead ones, and there was oh. a lot of scat. And the dead ones were pretty mummified, but it was the most recently used site known in the state of New York. Yours truly, uh, you know, introduced <laughs> it to the state and to science at large. I was shocked too. I didn't know that they were in trouble. Yeah. What What fascinates me about that is it really just demonstrates that you can have, you know, these are none of this was was non-native species. Yeah, people There's, really obsess on that too yeah. much. I have to. I have to kind of tell you right there it was just a balance it was just a, a you know yeah. balance that existed in the ecosystem shifted um primarily because of humans um because we were you know the raccoons do well better with us um but you know also just it was a balance that shifted well, and how delicate that is you have to remember there are two descriptions of balance two totally opposed mm, forms yeah, of balance yes one of them is static balance, like a pyramid. Right. What could be more balanced than that? The other is dynamic balance. Dynamic balance is when you ride a bicycle. If you stand on a bicycle, unless you're a really talented stunt rider, and a lot of people are, if you stand on a bicycle on the pedals or sit on the seat, unless you're moving, it falls over. Yeah. That's how ecosystems work. And that's, we, yeah, we say exactly. balance. We say balance, but it's the composition changes constantly. Yeah. The percentage of one species to another is always in flux. People don't understand that because we all grew up watching Mutual of Omaha's Wild Kingdom, <laughs> and now we read we read the Washington Post and we hear about invasive species taking over the planet because let's face it, we watch a lot of X Files and Star Trek and things like that. So <laughs> the expression invasive species is just so media sexy. We think about aliens coming down and probing everybody and <laughs> frankly invasive species are rarely the greater ecosystemic problem except for yours truly human beings yeah you know a lot of times it's the native stuff that causes the problems right and right yeah and it, but there is that constant dance there is that con yes. and nature well is uh, and i think sometimes we forget how good it, nature is at you know adjusting and saying hey okay that's not you know i've got this little niche there and something um has died off there let's replace it with something else and uh comes right back at you i wanted to uh tell you because um i don't know if you uh saw this note that i wrote down but um on the economist so you're not the only ones go one going out there researcher looking at roadkill um, <laughs> and these Ecuador researchers have been doing this, and they found these, and I'm not sure what that is, the Sicilians? Sicilians. Yeah, yeah it sounds like an Italian or an island off of Italy, but that's yes, not what we're does. talking about. This is spelled with a C. Now, what are these things? <laughs> so they, they're they kind of snake-like things. Uh, they're, but they're they're a true reptile. Okay. And yeah. Okay. Just a very strange. So these guys animal, are going to try to figure out where legs. these where these critters are, and which is makes sense, and drive around Ecuador and look at what's on the roadkill. And they found a new sp snake species as well. 
too, which was kind of cool. Really cool. Yeah. Roadkill works that way. You know, it's a it's a very strange fact that um, if someone surveys roadkill, um, they 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 can find new novel populations of things. It happens all the time. Yeah. I, I found a roadkill bog turtle two years ago, freshly killed too. I mean, Ooh. it was obviously killed seconds before I saw it, and um, you know. Uh, handed it to the uh, some state biologists so they could record where it was and everything. And uh, you know, sure enough, uh, a year later, there's a car dealership right there. So oh. good job, New York State DEC. Thanks. Yeah, there was um, that was actually one of the purposes that they were doing. These guys in Ecuador were doing. They were studying, trying to figure out where the road crossings were so that they could protect the animals. And I know you're involved in that too. Um, with you know tried to be yeah. try to be with the frogs specifically yeah. too you know watching because there are certain times of years when the frogs go move it, get walking <laughs> you know my my friend marty cooper smith who was going to be on the show a couple weeks ago and we'll, we'll get him here in the future he started a great thing in the 1970s up on cascade road here in warwick new york it's a high ridge rock area with a lot of uh rattlesnakes and he started something called warm warwick area no warwick amphibian rescue movement so he would get together with a bunch of friends and a few bottles of wine and they'd stand on the side of the road with flashlights and help different salamanders cross the road oh, wow. and uh, stop traffic politely you know wearing reflector vests and all and whenever they explained to people what they were doing people were supportive there weren't a lot of people who were angry about it so yeah yeah it, it, it's interesting you really learn what's you know those roads are there anyway we're not going to stop them things yeah. are going to get killed you can so build you can build culverts and you can um, build bridges and do things but in the long run, there's only so much you can do when, yeah. you know, that's that's the way they've been going for millennia. So definitely. Yeah. Well you, said. Yeah. So <laughs> you're not going to stop them. <laughs> you can act like you're crossing guard. <laughs> that's about it. That, you know, you that's are. what they did. But they also picked them up and helped them cross, which, yeah. which is a lot of fun. But you, you get a lot of good data from that. You really yeah. do. You really learn what what's living in an area. And they're always finding that. You know, species that they didn't know were in an area are there. So Which is cool. That. Yeah. yeah. So, and yeah, and if you're out there and I mean, what advice would you give to people who want to help out some wildlife getting across the road? Like snapping turtles. Oh, yeah. Snapping turtle, help them out. I've heard wonderful advice. See, I always pick them up uh, because I've always handled turtles. If you want to pick a snapping turtle up, you can start by pulling it up by its tail and then grab its back feet. If you, you know, uh, hold its whole weight by its tail, you can separate its vertebrae a bit and cause it some distress. So try to get it by its back feet. But what a lot of people do, it's a great solution. Have a piece of big piece of cardboard, like from an Amazon box in the back of your car in the trunk. When you see a snapping turtle, just slide it under the turtle and push them across the road. And this, you know, in the direction it was heading. People have great success with that. And yeah, with you got to make sure you get them across the road in the direction they're heading. Otherwise, they're just going to turn right around. So <laughs> and important. Go right back. Yes. yes. No, and thanks for so, saying that, Heather, because that's that's the most important part. You're not helping anyone if you bring it back to no, where it started. No. Yeah. Um, oh, and a couple of questions I had for you. One is uh, the crawdads. Oh, yeah. Too. And I remember seeing one um, years ago here, and I did not know what it was. And to me, I thought, this looks like a scorpion. And <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> I mean, this was a while ago. And um, But I thought, this is so strange. And it was on the roadside. And so yeah. I'm guessing that um, something might have picked it up and dropped no, it. No, no, they do that. They, they do, do that? that. Okay. In fact, in other parts of the world, uh, and certainly in the American South, they destroy crops. 
They oh, actually wow. build little, um, it's cool, little chimneys out of the <laughs> ground. They live down where it's a little more damp, and then they come out of the chimneys at night and forage. They'll forage on crops and go back down. Now, but, can they? Can we eat them? Can you yes, eat crops? Yes, we, we, I eat them like crazy. In fact, on um, <laughs> okay. Stephen Keeter's show, Free Speech, uh, a couple weeks ago, we were talking about eating crawdaddies and the fact that in uh, a lot of Eastern and Central Europe, they're called the rock. They're a raki in plural. And um, very popular with beer, raki apivo. Okay. Um, and how do you? I'm not gonna ask. Just boil them, them, or you can. Well, how do you catch them. them? Easiest thing in the world. You don't even need hooks or traps. You just piece of string and um, <laughs> a dead fish, a chicken wing is about oh, the most popular go after thing. That, yeah. They hold on to it. And you gently pull them up out of the water, shake them off into a spackle bucket until you've got a few dozen. Now, here in New York State, most of the crayfish you'll see now in the 21st century are an alien variety called the rusty crayfish. So New York state law in your fishing guide, when you get your fishing license specifically says, do not release those into the wild. If you catch them by accident, don't put them back into the water. It's a stupid law. It's not going to so, change anything. But it's anything. good though. It tells you, hey, maybe if you eat 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 a few yep. of these. Now, is there a native one? Is of course, yeah. Okay. No, mo most of them are native. Uh, there are many native crayfish here. Okay. Many species. Uh, most of them uh, fall under Cambrus, uh, Procambrus. But um, the rusty crayfish, I don't. I'm sorry, I forget the actual species name of it. But um, they're good eats. And they, are they big, big kind of guys in black? Or are they, because I've seen the one I saw was like, to me, you know, I thought it was They're like, brownish. They're usually they're brownish. kind of a light brown. Okay. With a, well, it was, it was kind of dark in the area, so sure. it might have appeared, yeah. Sure, so. and you know, that's what happens. They'll, they'll uh, you'll, you'll see them usually in darker areas. They sort of eschew the light. Um, but they're really good eating. We also have some other southern species that are accidentally introduced here um, by people who wanted to do crayfish farms, just like our earthworm problems. Oh, that makes sense. That. Yeah, yeah. You know, so earthworms are an example that we've talked about Better, here yes. that are a true invasive. <laughs> they are. Yeah, most of them are, are European. Yeah. yeah. So yeah. okay. Very problematic creatures, <laughs> but the crayfish. You know, they're um, they're they're good to eat. They mostly good for ecosystems, in my opinion. But hey, the state says uh, not to put them back. I will be the first man to uh, hold my hand up and eat them. You know, just <laughs> now boil what them eats up. what eats these guys? Oh, mink and otters love them. Okay, they're crazy about them. Most turtles do, especially the immature. Uh, crawdaddies or when they've molted they've just shed their skin they're uh, most edible to a lot of creatures then but i see where this always happens we talk so much we're getting toward the end of the show here <laughs> and before we blast out of here heather um i just want to say thank you for oh, being on thank you this you, is we always have fun i always learn something which is me great too. too i always <laughs> learn something i love great. the hot sheets that you bring in and coming up is uh i believe it's uh your schools uh to, or our schools rather um and uh, that's a very interesting show. Stay tuned for that. And uh, be sure to check on Thursdays at 11, Stephen Keeter's new show. Good.